Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. And I'm Matt Dale. And we interrupt our regularly scheduled program to bring you this very special special about Matt's <laughs> ongoing, continual, <laughs> lifelong creative endeavor. I mean... <laughs> this this will never end, Chris. I, don't, I wonder sometimes what will happen once the books go away, and I don't want to think about that. <laughs> yeah, so you might have heard out there in QLP land that Matt Dale is the author of the Definitive Quantum Leap Reference Guide Beyond the Mirror Image, and you further might have heard that uh, the second edition is imminent. Uh, some of it's actually already mm-hmm. available. So since we have been, you know, doing all the summer things over here, I've been on vacation, Matt was away on holiday, I don't know what Allison's doing, I think that, you know, she's having a good time becoming a Canadian. Yeah. We're all just all of us in the summer vibe still. So we thought this would be a perfect time, even though the summer is over to, uh, or anyway, it's here in the States. It's it's Labor Day weekend. So it's almost officially over to bring you this special. So Matt, tell us what we're about to hear here regarding Beyond the Mirror Image. This is an interview that Sam and Dennis over at Fates Wide Wheel were good enough to run with me I think we recorded it in July. I'm not sure when they released it, but uh, yeah, it's from a, a couple of months back when the finishing touches were going into Beyond the Mirror Image. I've said that a few times. I mean, there, were, there there's been so many more finishing touches since. <laughs> I was going to say, I think that's how we started yeah. this. It just it never ends. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's uh, we we talk a bit about the. The process of, of research and writing, and uh, it's 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 a really fun interview. But it is it is from a couple of months ago now, and at the time, I was sort of I was a few weeks away from going to print. Um, things moved on a little bit. Uh, it took a little bit longer to get to print than I was expecting, and I am now at that stage. So it's what third of September today, and the printers have the job. So that second edition that Chris you referred to is is currently running its way. I I have no idea how modern printers work, but I always imagine it's being like those uh, montages from fifties uh, <laughs> movies with all the the newspapers flying Chris, past the yes. screen. It's something like that, right? <laughs> that's that's happening right now. Uh, it might interest you to know that I grew up working in in print shops, so I know. Uh, are you doing a four color job? Is this full color? Uh, no, this is black and white. Okay, so it could be an offset press because they also have these big four-color presses that not quite that newspaper press that I know that you're thinking of, <laughs> <laughs> like season five of The Wire, the open foot. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, oh. I've worked around those machines a lot in my youth, and I can I can probably picture it a little bit more accurately. Actually, what the hell do I know now? Everything's print on demand. It might just be mimeographed at this point. Who knows? I haven't been in yeah. a print shop I, in, just, in decades. Let's just live with our dreams. You have your dream. I'll have mine. <laughs> Who cares about reality? <laughs> so yeah, Chris, as you as you alluded to, some of it's already out because uh, it's a the second edition is three volumes. Volume two is out there. Volume one, um, which has just taken a little bit longer to to run. Volume one is currently being printed. I'm expecting 200 copies to arrive on my doorstep any day now to go out to the pre-orderers, the backers on my Kickstarter campaign, and then after that, it will be shifting to print on demand for more people to to pick up as and when they want. And that's when I'll also be starting the Volume 3 campaign. So it's, it, it is actually all happening. I, I've, I've been saying for a little while now, it's it's about to all happen. Well, now, now it really is. 
So just refresh everybody's memory uh, in case you all live under a rock out there and uh, you don't know what volume one is, what volume two is, what volume three is. Can you give everybody a brief overview? Yeah, of course. So, so volume one is, uh, it's about 800 pages. It's, it's a proper doorstop, um, of an episode by episode guide to the original series. So each episode gets eight, nine, ten pages with sound bites from the cast and crew, behind the scenes bits of information, observations, all kinds of uh, lovely, juicy analysis, uh, all to do with the 90 odd episodes of the original series. Volume two is the exact same, but for the new series. And that's why that came a little bit sooner, because I really wanted to get that out at the same time that the Blu-rays dropped uh, a couple of months ago. Good strategy. Yeah, exactly. So that's already out, and that, that covers the 18 episodes of the, the new series, plus all of the 30-year wait and, and development hell that the, the Quantum Leap reboots in its various different forms have been through. So there's kind of a, a big chapter there, and then a, an 18-episode guide. And then volume three is going to be everything else. So back back when I wrote the first edition in 2016, half of it was given over to an episode guide. The other half of it, I just kind of went crazy with. Uh, there's, there's a timeline of the Quantum Leap universe. There's a guide to the merchandise. There's all sorts of stuff about uh, like a, a, a what was happening at the project and all of the facts about the project all gathered together in one place. Uh, just, just kind of... Um, all the ephemera, uh, stuff about the novels, the comics. How could I forget those? That's the, the big in-depth meaty stuff that I'm researching at the moment. All of that was the second half of the first edition, uh, which wouldn't fit in volume one uh, this time around. So volume three is going to be that expanded. And that's why I'm spending so much time talking to the writers of the novels and the, the writers and the artists uh, of the comics at the moment, because I'm, I'm getting started on volume three. And I'm excited about that. To me, this is surreal. You're like your own self-fulfilling prophecy because I feel like when you were putting together the original version of BTMI, it was all sources that you had to seek out, uh, secondary sources like the podcast, like interviews, like TV guide, like this. Now you are, for all intents and purposes, a primary source of information for your own research because you're the one doing the interviews. That, that is a, quite a sea change. Does that make things harder <laughs> or easier because you don't know what to leave out or <laughs> – you know, I it's. Mean. It, I, I mean, yeah. In a lot of ways, it makes things easier. It definitely meant for volume two when we were when we were interviewing the cast and crew of the new series. It was very hard to hold back asking weird questions that I knew would be useful for the book, not necessarily interesting for the podcast. So the, trying, <laughs> trying to balance those out was was interesting. But no, it's uh, yeah, it's it's totally different because 2015 when I was researching for the first edition. That really was just about, I know there's a lot of stuff out there. I want to pull it all together. And that was the goal. What's already out there? Now, yeah, do, doing the that direct research and talking to people, talking to you. You're, you're one of the people that I, I need to talk to some more about you know, the background of foreknowledge. Uh, actually getting to ask you questions about that. It's going to be, it's it's very cool and very, very weird. Yeah, your, your timing is great because I just I just redid my library and I dug out all of my like original manuscript stuff for foreknowledge. Oh. I, ha I haven't seen it, any of it in 30 years. And I think I sent you a shot of like the cover page of yes. the manuscript yeah. with some handwritten notes, but I haven't gone through any of it since. So it's going to be a journey of discovery for us both. And uh, you yeah. will be thoroughly sick of me, more sick of me than you are now probably mm -hmm. by the time <laughs> we're done with that. Never, never. 
But it, it's just great having access to all these people. And thanks to you inviting me onto the podcast, the fact that I can speak to various yeah, various people from the novels and comics and introduce myself and say, I am a host of the Quantum Leap podcast and I'd like to speak to you, which goes a lot further than I wrote what's quite a niche book. You may not have heard of it. The, the podcast, I think, gets that gets people willing to talk to me. And then I can actually ask the questions I want to ask, whereas in the past there's been so many interviews that the, the QLP gave some great interviews, but the amount of times I was listening to them and Albie would ask some great questions, but then there'd be something I'd say, please, Albie, ask, ask that question. And, and he didn't because it, because he's not telepathic. And quite often these were interviews from two or three years previously. And I can't send telepathic telepathy back in time. Uh, so the fact that I can just think, hey, you know what, actually, this is an obscure thing, but I really need to know this for the book and speak to these people. It's It's been amazing. And that journey's not over yet. Straight after we record this, I'm going to be editing together an interview with John Holland uh, that I, I did a couple of weeks back, one of the, the comic writers. And it's just, it's mind blowing that I can do this and not just say, yeah, no one's ever interviewed John Holland about this. So, and that, that was what I did in 2015. No one had interviewed John Holland. So no quotes from John Holland. Well, now, now we've got it. It's there. That's great. That's amazing. So yeah, it, it, it's going to be such a resource and I wouldn't be surprised if innovation or whatever's left of innovation taps you to just maybe do some kind of definitive guide for them alone, something mm-hmm. niche like that. But yeah. who knows? Let's put it this way. I doubt that anybody else is doing something like that for those comic books. No. And honestly, for the novels, to be quite frank. So um, you were on Fate's Wide Wheel. It was a few months mm-hmm. ago. I'm sure that you put the ordering information in the interview that everybody's about to hear. But why don't we just reiterate it here as well, let people know where they can go to find the stuff uh, when Volume 1 should be available, how to get Volume 2, and how they can start backing Volume 3. So the best place to go is forevertv.co.uk. Volume 2 is print-on-demand through Lulu, so I could give you a direct link there. Volume 1 is currently in limbo because I'm fulfilling pre-orders, and then that will be going to Lulu. Volume 3 will be going to Kickstarter as a campaign. So there's links all over the place. The best thing is forevertv.co.uk because that's where I keep all the links up to date. Uh, so just go there. Whenever you visit there, you'll see the latest links for buying or backing each volume as they come up. Okay, cool. And there will definitely be a link to that in the show notes for this show. So just go to the Quantum Leap Podcast website, quantumleappodcast.com, and you can probably just swipe it on your phone too. So, hey, so thank you, Matt, for giving us this refresher to the refresher. And uh, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Dennis and Fate's Wide Wheel for allowing us to rerun this content on our feed. You're saving our bacon this week because, like I said, we've been lazy summer boys. So this really just (laughs) – it fills the hole for us for another week and we're eternally grateful. So anything that I missed, Matt, that you think we should discuss – no, I th- I think you've got it. I think it's just over to the over to the actual content now. The the interview and they they ask some great questions. There's some uh, we got some really interesting discussion coming up. They they asked me some things that really put me on the spot, and yeah, there's there's a load to share. All right, so on with the show. 
We want to thank our patrons who support the podcast. Owl's Play, Sleep Fan Site, Bourbon and Board Games, Carolyn, Cosplay Dad, Joanne Bartlett, Dana Bias, Rich Bork, Kevin, and Kevin Butcher, Carol Davis, Dan Tuhig, Dex Lower, Dermot Devlin, Barry Donovan, Brian Dreadful, Troy Evers, Larry Ganny, Jason Geis, Kelly M., Michelle Hoffman, Amy Holdcamp, Lori Johnson, Bess A. Corey, Lady Eternal, Rob Nunn, Oddly specific with Audra, Christopher Redman, Adrian Sal, Karen Saxon, Jerry Seward, Mike Stouffer, Heather Strabiak, Damon Sugamelli, Larry Trujillo, Stuart Williams, Jill Wilson, our anonymous donors, and as always, a special shout out to Jessica Conger and Betsy Freimeyer, our spouses who provide vital child care while we record the show. If you would like to become a patron of the podcast, visit our website at fateswidewheel.com slash patron. Again, that is fateswidewheel.com slash patron. And thank you. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Fates Wide Wheel. I'm Sam. I'm Dennis. I I we I have not done this in over two months. I was so afraid I was not going to remember how to talk. On the microphone, Sam, you've done episodes. Matt, I know you've done episodes over at QLP, but this is my first time recording since the since the season finale. So I'm just like, what's going to happen? Anyway, hello, everybody. Welcome to a special episode. Welcome oh, back. No. And now friend, he's frozen. Friend yeah. of the podcast, Matt Dale. How you doing, Matt? Hey, I'm good. Uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me on. And I mean, you, you say, oh, I'm I'm used to this. We we kind of also took a bit of a break after the series ended. Like we, like you, I guess we were just uh, a little bit quantum leaped out. So uh, <laughs> uh, eighteen episodes punctuated with so much other stuff. Um, we we had all intentions of just carrying straight on, and we've had a fair few off weeks as well. So uh, we. We talked about Honeymoon Express last weekend, but yeah, I, I am forgetting how this whole camera and microphone thing works as well. Aside from that, I'm good. And it's so great to see you guys. Yeah, it is fantastic to see you. It's fantastic to see you too, Dennis, because it has mm. been a while uh, since <laughs> since we've had a chance to, to chat and uh, I'm thrilled to have all three of us here to talk. Uh, of course, you know, Matt's got the, the new book coming out. Uh, but before we get to that, just in general, yeah, we all in our various ways covered the entirety of season one of Quantum Leap and punctuated nearly every single episode with interviews of some fashion, whether it was actors, producers, writers, and, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that between, you know, QLP and Fate's Wide Wheel, the, we're pretty much the number one source of any and all information on the show, uh, even over like any major outlets based off of the, you know, just the sheer amount of information we were able to kind of compile and in interviews we were able to get. Yeah, absolutely. I I think we should be between us super proud of of everything we managed to get, and um, it it amazed me. And I I don't know how much people are aware of this. Although the three of us talk a bit, we never really coordinated anything properly. And yet, I think we only had one overlapping interview. I think we we both spoke to Shakina. Oh, we both spoke to Dean a couple of times. But um, beyond that, we generally managed to present different interviews for the audience so you you two got a lot of production personnel that we just we were not 
chasing down. We got a lot of actors between us. What a what a breadth of background information. Uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah I, I agree. It was it was kind of interesting the way that that worked out, and and I, I think the nature of the interviews that we ended up having with Caitlin and Nenrissa were very different from the nature of right. interviews you had with with the two of them. Yeah, um, so. It's been uh, a lot of fun to say the very least, but it was a little bit exhausting. And I think that we were all uh, deserving of a little bit of a break. Uh, Now, of course, you did not necessarily get that much of a break because you've been working this whole time on Beyond the Mirror Image in addition to the podcast. Oh, that that was not the intention, right? So this time last year, (laughs) this time last year, I'd almost finished for the, the second edition Volume one. I, I did the Kickstarter campaign about a year back with the intention of releasing volume one, which was about the original series uh, within a few weeks' time. That has had, yeah, uh, nearly a year's worth of delays because a whole load of new information came up. I had a designer saying, hey, I can make it look pretty and well worth the wait. I mean, the stuff she's doing is amazing. Uh, so I ended up working on that. Um, not doing too much writing, but more supporting the designing and the, the redrafting. Ended up working on that during the season. And m- my goal with Volume 2 was that, well, because I'm doing, you know, like YouTube, do- doing the podcast and doing the interviews, it'll be so easy just to slip in a book while I'm I'm doing all that. And I sort of thought, by the time Judgment Day airs, time we didn't know it was going to be Judgment Day, by the time the season finale airs, I might have a couple of pages left to do and a bit of tinkering around the edges, and then I can publish a week later. It's been two months since Judgment Day aired, and I've been working fairly solidly <laughs> on Volume 2 since because I did get behind. But, yeah, it's the last year I have been working on two books at once and the podcast. Uh, so it's, yeah, and it, and it has been nonstop. And, yeah, since Judgment Day finished, I've just been on a cycle of re-watching those 18 episodes and redrafting the book more and more. It's a a good book. I'm proud of what came out of it, but it's it's absolutely exhausted me. It's kind of like parenting in that way. I I, I love the kid. She's a great kid, but man, it's exhausting. (laughs) So Matt, I know, like, I assume that anybody who listens to QLP, like, like there's overlap between our listeners and everything. But to catch anybody up, which which volume of this new book is is it going to be? Because sometimes I get confused. Yeah, and I'm glad you asked because I, I get a lot of questions directly as well. Um, so it's, it's worth being clear on this. So there was... I'm, I'm trying to refer to the 2016 edition as just its own separate thing. So 2016 was the first edition... And it's, it's what I tend to just call the 2016 edition. And that was 800 pages, for anyone that's on the video version, 800 pages of 400 pages of the original series, 400 pages of appendices. In the next few weeks, volume one of the second edition will be coming out. And volume one is those first 400 pages of the original series expanded out to 800 pages. Volume two is brand new and is just about, well, two-thirds of it is about the new series, but there's 100 pages about all the things that have happened between 93 and today. So uh, the Trey Calloway's Bold Leap Forward script, 
Time Child, Deborah Pratt's novel that she she tried to get off the ground, uh, and various other things. Um, the the uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode, all, all that kind of stuff that's happened over the last 30 years. So that kind of takes us from 93 up to today. Both of those are part of the second edition, and both of those are coming out in the next few weeks. And then there is a that's third fantastic. volume. Let me just, just realize I stopped there. But the, the, the last, the other 400 pages of the 2016 edition, the appendices, so that's mm. things like the novels, the comics, the, the complete chronology of the QL universe, that's going to be another six, 700-page book next year. I, I, okay. Cause not, not yet. A, a question I had, because I know like one of the huge parts of – the 2016 edition. And it's like one of the, one of your motives for writing the book in the first place is to put everything in the quantum leap universe yeah. into one chronology. And I didn't know with the, the, the volume one, second edition that's coming out in a few weeks, whether there was going to be a timeline where you try to squeeze in anything of the new series, but this is all going to be all its own separate book. This will be all its own thing. Uh, there, there is no space. So I'm still, um, I still have the same limitation I did in 2016 that getting books bound above 800 pages is tough. You've got to find a specialist printer that costs a lot of money. And the new original series portion, which was 400 pages before, is now 750-odd pages. So basically it will be those 90-odd episodes. Yeah, (laughs) this is the thing. The, the, The 2016 guide had average of two or three pages per episode there's now an average of eight pages per episode so it's it's just exploded uh but it does mean it goes right up to mirror image and then stops so any any, i love the chronology i'm so excited by that and i I cannot wait to get that back out there like you said dennis that was one of my main motivations originally but no space in here i have however to keep my sanity that is something that i've been updating over the last year so i have on my computer the chronology of everything from Genesis or all the events that are covered from Genesis up to Judgment Day in chronological order. So it does exist. Nice. It's not going to get published till next year, by which point season two will be included. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, tell, I mean, I know you've told us before, and forgive me, like, Matt, and also forgive us listeners if we repeat any questions from the last time we talked, but you know, you said like every page was average like three or four pages in the original edition. Now it's eight mm-hmm. pages. Where did this new information come from? And um, this is not a shameless plug for Fate's Wide Wheel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Sef- so several things. Let's start with the, the most mundane part. Uh, one of the bits of feedback that I got in 2016, which was absolutely fair, is that the font size is tiny. Because I was squeezing into 800 pages, mm. it was tiny. The designer I've got has made it a more reasonable size. She's let it breathe a little bit. It, it all is a lot more readable. There's a good 20% of the expanse is just because actually it's more readable, even without the extra text. Uh, that's not to say there's not new information because yeah, it's still doubled in size. And yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's new interviews. And um, for... Volume one, some some of those interviews have come from Fates Wide Wheel. Some of those interviews have come from QLP. Uh, one of the coolest things was uh, something that I didn't have access to in 2016, which was uh, I got the, the I was lent the motherload of fanzines last autumn, and that's one of the reasons it's it's been delayed. 
uh, because I just got hold of all these interviews from back in the day uh, that I was able to quote from. And as much as I'm super proud of the interviews we do on QLP, you guys should be super proud of the interviews you do uh, on Fates Wide Wheel. Those ones, looking back on 30 years, sometimes it is really hard to get the actors to say anything more than, well, gee, Scott Bakula was great to work with. Uh, when you get the sure. interviews that were conducted back in the early 90s, they're coming out with all kinds of stuff. Like, you know, oh, here's filming dates and here's this is what I was doing and here's my exact memories of the audition because it was only two weeks ago. It's, it's amazing. And it, it puts it into the context of what was happening in fandom at the time. So there's even things about, you know, I've got more details about the conventions and about the writing campaigns and all that kind of stuff all just fits together a lot more nicely because effectively I've got some of the biggest fans like uh, Christina Mavrudis, Emma Fee, various fanzine editors, their voices are now not not credited except in the acknowledgements at the start, but effectively their experiences are now spread throughout the volumes, uh, the volume as well. So it's you, you can actually live that that five year story. That, that yeah, you know, I, I, I really love that too because in contrast to other properties that might have a little bit more, you know, studio backing or or, or backing from a producer here or there or something or have continued on uh, like a Star Trek or something, I think all of the information that we have and even indeed beyond the mirror image is due to the efforts of fans and, 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 you know, and and the podcasts that exist as well, even beyond ours. And, And I think that, I don't know, it's just a testament to the way that the show affected us uh, as opposed to necessarily just generating Mm. dollars or, or ratings. Um, Not that it's not, possible to do that but uh I, I do think that that's that that's pretty cool especially compared to other i think fandoms out there that exist with uh, without so much dedicated material um you know that might have existed just as long as quantum leap but don't necessarily have that same kind of uh connection yeah right so speaking of uh, i i was curious because just this morning in one of your last email updates for for the kickstarter supporters you included pages of future boy and you talked about richard hurd getting the call for the audition for mo stein did that come out one of the fanzines because i don't remember reading that in in the original 2016 version um yeah i think that came out of yeah that must have come out of one of the fanzines because uh mm-hmm. yeah i We've not spoken to him since 2016 uh, on QLP. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's all cited. So I would definitely encourage as people get the book, uh, I, I'd encourage people to look at those tiny footnotes because that's one of the most exciting things you can see. Like, okay, this is this is a quote that somebody looking back 30 years, this is somebody being interviewed by a fan for a fanzine uh, in the 90s. It's You, you can you can just breathe in the facts or you can actually see where I've got those facts from. And yeah, I'm, I'm fairly sure I know. Uh, yeah. I know Richard talked to a lot of fans back at the time. So I can't remember this specific quote you're talking about, but I'm fairly sure it would have been from that. Mm-hmm. I remember when, did he pass away two or three years ago? Yeah, it was a, yeah. Is yeah. It wasn't right? that long ago. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember uh, when Allison discovered the the lost ending. Yes. Like, proof of that. I can't remember wh- who Richard Hurd talked to, but he spoke about like he specifically remembered like from the call sheets he remembered seeing 
yeah. that scene, the, the the final loss scene being being scheduled to be shot. Yeah, that that was that was the last time I think any of us spoke to him. So yeah, it was sure. Yeah, I guess a year or two after that that he passed away. Sure. So is there? I, I feel like I asked this question before last time. Learning new information about particular episodes are there any episodes that you now look at in a different light because you know more behind the scenes info so the the biggest one and i feel i i I may have answered you this before but the 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 biggest one that uh if if not i'm i'm happy to talk about because i love talking about uh the the biggest one that made me uh really look at look at something entirely differently was glitter rock um so so glitter rock i did not have the draft script in 2016 i now have the draft script and quite often i i've, I've got draft scripts for every episode now so there's a there's a section in every episode where i say ah look there was you know al made some off-color remarks and they got cut yeah that, that was it you know there's, there's there's some interesting stuff there's some less interesting stuff <laughs> glitter rock is the only one that was completely restructured after filming so Glitter Rock had three concerts in it when you see it on on screen, but it was only two in the script. And that the 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 second and third concerts were actually just one super long concert right at the end uh, that they've broken apart. And that's why everyone's wearing the same clothes. And they just use a bunch of ADRing to show how one day effectively gets split into two. Um, and there's a couple of continuity errors because of it, but I've ended up doing a whole section on that, on how that all breaks apart. So that, sure. I mean, plus the one scene with, with, with Sam and Al backstage before the concert and like Sam trying to learn the chords or whatever. It's like when you go back and watch it now, that scene sticks out like a sore thumb so badly. Yes. Because yeah. it was, they went back and they shot that cause they needed additional footage. Yeah. They shot that while they were shooting a nuclear family, I believe. Yes. That sounds about right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in in terms of the, in terms of what I've learned about the episodes, a lot of it is is just, and I hate I hate to use the word just because it is a it is a massive difference, but it's just adding color to what was really looking back now bare bones. So the vast majority of the episodes, and I'm trying not to make this a plug for the book. I really am trying, but uh, <laughs> but it, make it, it's fine. Please it's fine. do. But ultimately, the, the book. The 2016 edition, it, it was a lot of, look, I'm watching the episodes. I've got a handful of draft scripts, a bunch of interviews. Here's what I know. Now, everything just feels a lot more rich and a lot more colorful. And it, it's it's brought to life in a new way. I wouldn't say there's any one particular episode that stands out as me as a, wow, this, is, this has completely changed my view of it. It's just the series as a whole feels a lot more alive. And then as overall, um, can you give any insight, like what more, if anything, you've learned, just like the behind the scenes, like of the show, like as a production in general, like it being a troubled production, like always being on the, on the verge <laughs> of being canceled? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch more of of that. And, you know, it's it's interesting, particularly like some, some of the introduction uh stuff on the on season five um so i open each season with a, a bit of a a pricey about his here's how the season started and that season five introduction has now expanded quite a bit with comments about why certain things happen the way they did and 
when they brought uh, Charles Johnson on, uh, Charles Floyd Johnson, for that final season as a producer. Looking back and from some of the comments that were made at the time, that seems to be because he was just one of those people that's like, look, we'll parachute him in, he'll fix it. So there does seem to have been a bit of an air of that happening. Um which, you know, obviously season five ended up being quite different and it was not enough to save it. But you can see that there was definitely that change in the production team was an attempt to try and figure out what to do with less budget. And everyone seemed very happy with having Charles' sure. involvement. But uh, yeah, there was comments about him that, that made me look at that, look at his uh, hiring in a new light. Sure. I, you know, it's, it's, it's really encouraging to hear stuff like that for the reason that there have been a number of books that have come out over the past, you know, 10 years or so that have been oral histories, you know, of, of certain television shows and, and some of them have been quite informative. I mean, the, the two volume one on Star Trek, uh, the first volume of that is just such a wonderful window into kind of like the golden age of television in the sixties and, you know, the, and the production of the show. Uh, and in contrast to what you were saying about quantum leap, when they brought in their new producer in season three to kind of try, try to help save the show, it had the exact opposite effect to the point that the actors like, you know, basically went on strike sometimes, you, you know, it would disappear for days, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, during shooting schedules because they didn't want to work on the show because they thought it was garbage. Um, and, uh, and I just, I, I've always appreciated that kind of information in general, but now to have it so laser focused on, on, on quantum leap is great. And obviously this isn't an oral history, but using so much, uh, in terms of the yeah. interviews and, and, and bringing that information together, um, did you find that part of that richness has to do with the voices of these actors and writers and producers now being able to kind of speak through you 100%, in this book? And I, yeah, I, I think you've, you've summed up the, what I've been trying to express myself uh, so far. And, and um, that, yeah, that, that's it. Exactly. The, there have been so many interviewers doing such a good job over the years of pulling out interesting information and, not even just interesting information, interesting perspectives. It's not just facts and figures. This is also how people felt and mm. how people interacted right. with each other. And yeah, it's great. I, I've, I've taken part in some of that myself. There's been some, some recent interviews I've led, but uh, just so many over the years, so many really good quotes that I've been able to take forward. And just a lot of what I've been doing is trying to lay that out into a, a sensible way. So you can you can read it and it almost feels like a a kind of conversation between all these different actors and producers and and that yeah they're they're now talking to you through me through journalists and fans from 20 30 years back and it's it's made all the difference when you did you, did you come across um, did you come across any sort of like dueling perspectives on certain <laughs> elements where, you, you know, you'd find, oh, you know, do I, and, and when you come across that, do you sort of say, okay, I have to try to find the truth of this, or do you just present yeah. both of them in a way that, you know, that it's like, you know, here's what this person said, here's what this person said, figure it a, out for yourselves. <laughs> a, a small handful, a, a very few, um, very few occasions that happened. Um, I think, I don't I think there's the stuff with Deborah and Don that we will never fully understand, um, and not 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 just what either of them have said, but what <laughs> other people who are in the room have said. There's a lot of contradictions there, and again, I've just tried to bring as much out as possible and step back. 
Um, I have my own views, but that's not that's not the point of the book. The point of the book is to to present uh, what's being said, and you know, even some some little some anecdotes that happened on on set. Um, there's, there's one or two. There's a there's a, a story about. Jean-Pierre Dorliac, which uh, Dorliac doesn't recall happening, uh, but again, it's they're, they're both in there. Um, what the way I present that is, you know, this one of the the overriding memories that this particular person had was that this thing happened, whether it actually happened or not, um, and whether Dorliac believes it happened or not, maybe doesn't matter. The fact is that's this person's memory, and that's what I'm presenting. The fact that Dorliac either denied that it happened for his own reasons or has forgotten or it never happened is also of interest. So I try and present it. You know, at the end of the day, if I was if I was a journalist in in politics or trying to present the news, I would be trying to find the truth and focus on that. This is something quite different. I'm I'm actually interested in what people remember. And as long as I share it very much with that view. I'm very careful with my wording around those kind of pieces though. Uh, it's always Sure, and, and there's, there's a whole bit in the um, the preface about that as well. So, yeah, I, I love presenting yeah. those kind of facts. A lot, a lot of stories do do line up though, but I think the Deborah and Don stuff that's that's interesting. I'm just it'll it'll never get made because you're not you're not the person who wants to make the book. I would love to see a dueling oral history of the show between Deborah yeah. and Don yes. and other people from the show going. All right, here's the deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. I, I think that this is a great opportunity to to step away, you know, directly from the book for a moment because, you know, we Dennis and I obviously have had the fortune of talking to Deborah a couple of times now. You've spoken with Deborah a number of times as well. Um, you, you know, I, 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 you've never no, spoken with Don, not, correct? No, not personally. Yeah. Um, so, so I, you know, all that said, we've obviously read and seen and and heard a lot of what Don has said as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about the sort of dueling narratives that exist, and 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 I'll try to lay it out in, in as simplified a manner as possible, and then please jump in and and embellish and correct, uh, you know, as necessary. But Don obviously is the one with an established career mm-hmm. in Hollywood in the late mid to late eighties around the time that quantum leap was, was born, you know, the Genesis, he, he had that pedigree. He had worked on many successful television shows prior to this. He had worked on one of the most successful television shows of the eighties, Magnum PI. So, you know, at this point, like he could kind of call his own shots. Deborah is someone who wanted to be involved. She'd done a little bit of acting. She'd done a little bit of writing, but she'd not necessarily been able to break through arguably because she was a woman, because she was a person of color, take your Mm. pick, you know, either way. Um, of course, she enters into a relationship with Don. They are together. She gets some writing gigs, uh, uh, you know, on like some of the other stuff. Uh, and then this is where things get murky. You have one side of the story, of course, with Don having developed Quantum Leap completely on his own, that that it was his idea, that he can tell you where that idea came from. And, uh, you know, and he, and he goes into the studio and pitches the show and gets it sold. And then they go and they make the show. You have the... Other narrative, which I don't think until recently had actually been ever stated, certainly not by Deborah, which was she 100% said it was her idea. She told the idea to Don. Don told her that he could help her get it made, that there was, you know, there were sacrifices and compromises made. And 
And that's exactly what happened. Don helped get the show made. Then, of course, there's the in-between, which I think a lot of people had already been laboring under the assumption of whether or not there's ever been conversation to this nature that's taken place, that Mm. it was kind of co-created, that they both came up with the idea, that they both worked on it, that they both then presented it to the network and sold the show and worked on the show. I mean, Matt, yeah, I know what I think. (laughs) I know. I know what Dennis thinks. What do you think? The the other element of that that I I think is worth pulling out, and I I know you both know this, is that the the Don narrative um, is is the one that Deborah was also backing up during the show's production. Uh, She she would that there are quotes from her in the book from the 90s saying oh yeah yeah you know um this the, this classic story of uh, don woke me up at five o'clock in the morning screaming at me i've got this idea and she was saying wait 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 wait, i've got to have my breakfast first and he just came up with all this stuff and she maybe gave him a couple of nudges in the right direction but uh, that's that's all comes from her that that narrative that it was all his with maybe a couple of nudges not just from don also from deborah in the early 90s um now if i were deborah in the early 90s and i knew that it was my idea but i had to go through don to get it sold would i while the show is on air be saying that's the truth of course not so that that doesn't mean that right. uh that doesn't mean that the, the deborah narrative is incorrect it just means that she was consistently um or potentially consistently covering up and allowing Don to take more credits during the production. So I've, I've been very surprised by some of the stuff that's come out recently. Um, Very surprised that Deborah has been talking as openly as she has been, but it's certainly, you're not going to get a direct answer out of me, by the way. Um, (laughs) But, but it's certainly for a- <laughs> actually. I've been sitting here like I, I've been admiring your your politician <laughs> skills right here of of just I, I weaving yeah, around. So all right, around, the, the bottom line answer. for me is um, Don Don's previous shows are the the kind of things that as a kid. All my male friends used to watch like shows about uh, helicopters that went really fast and cars that went really fast and uh, all that that kind of stuff. And that that seemed to have been Don's history. And I had no interest in those kind of shows. And then along comes this show that has a lot more romance and intrigue and history. It does not feel like a Donald Belisario show. Yeah. You really stuck the landing on that, Matt. I just got to say. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. And I, I really don't think we'll ever know. I do so think, though. That- I, I do keep an open mind on it. But uh, the, the stuff that's been coming out recently has not surprised me. Sure. That in mind. Yeah. Well, I think it's rather telling, you know, I mean, there, there are a lot of questions that, uh, that I see asked sometimes on Facebook or Reddit about like, what, what's Don's involvement with the show? And, and, and it really is in oh, name getting only. a paycheck. And I mean, part of that is, is like, let's face it, part of that is, I mean, the man's yeah. in his eighties, you know, and he, he's come off a career of working for, you know, 40 plus years in television, which is a fairly unforgiving yeah. career, you know, and quite frankly, if we're being completely honest, reading between the lines of his last kind of experiences as a television producer, they did not end well for him, that he may have, you know, if not 
enabled, certainly uh, allowed a certain behavior on set to mm. continue that was, you know, not going to fly in, in, in 2023, uh, much less 2016, 2017, whenever things kind of went down over on NCIS. So I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's just important to note that at this particular point in time, if you're just looking at it from the appearances of the new show, yeah. one of them's involved, the other's not. And so... Yeah, you know that that certainly I think holds yeah, some meaning. Yeah, I as mean well. the, the the counterpoint to that, if there is one, is it's it's been thirty years now. Regardless of whose idea it was and who was driving things in the writers' room, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, Deborah has a huge and, and rich history with Quantum Leap. If they're going to have somebody back from the original series to help guide them, uh, and mm-hmm. Don, as you've said, is it's not practical. Um, you know, it's going to be like her or Tommy Thompson uh, on on set is <laughs> going to be good, and um, it, yeah, it makes sense for it to be Deborah. So there's that. But again, I I was thinking this this time last year, as I'm sure yeah. you two were, um, when Deborah stepped up, and it was very clear she was heavily involved uh, in the new series. It says something about how much she was she was involved in the original series. Yeah. And I mean, there's no doubt, obviously, that in the original series, I mean, Don had a huge hand in the show. I mean, we're not trying to say that he didn't have anything to do with it, that it was just his name on it or anything like that. I mean, clearly, like he he was writing episodes. He, you know, there was clearly elements of his vision. If you compare the show to like Magnum P.I. or Airwolf or, you know, any of those number of shows, there are definitely those elements that come into play at times. And he certainly had his own vision for what I think he wanted the show to look like. Um, I think that obviously Deborah had a lot more input than she yes. was given credit for at the time during the run of the show, much less whether we're talking about the genesis of the show and 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 so i think that it's wonderful to see her get so much credit now because it does feel that it's been a long time coming um and and i think that people that were in love with the show as much as we were and have devoted as much time to the show as we have you know that's something that we've always kind of been aware of that's something that we've always had on our radar like you know deborah's one of the reasons if not the reason we love this show so much and um it's just really nice to see her now involved and, and getting the, the credit that she gets yes. from so many people. Because again, you know, in talking with the writers and producers, so many of those people have, have given her so much credit. I mean, Derek Hughes in particular mm-hmm. pops into my head as someone who gave her a, a wealth of credit, even beyond just Quantum Leap, just for being a woman of color working in that capacity on a television show in the early 90s and how important it was to him and how important she was to him, I think is, is it's uh, it's incredibly gratifying for a fan of the show. Yeah, and, fan and that, work. that's the thing. You know, regardless of uh, what narrative you believe or whether you fall somewhere in the middle in terms of the genesis, in terms of her involvement in the original series, she clearly had a, a, a huge impact on what Quantum Leap turned out to be. And she's clearly had a huge impact in the 30 years since. So um, we we all love Deborah. Yeah, kind of shift gears to the to the new series because I know like you've had a chance to talk with Martin Garrell before the finale, and you've talked a couple times with Gene Georgeris. As far as volume two goes, like how much do you have like fleshed out as far as like what the behind the scenes looks like in as far as like the the creation and the development of the new series? So I think for for volume two, um, what you'll find, and and this is. Yeah, in stark contrast to volume one, where I'm I'm digging up 
old interviews or uh, sometimes harder to find interviews, a lot of that information has come from uh, QLP interviews and Fakes Wide Wheel interviews because for the most part, no one else has really been talking to the, the makers of the show apart from you know when, when Let Them Play aired and Shakina was everywhere. Uh, you know, there's a couple of those tentpole moments throughout the the show, and Brandon Routh did quite a few interviews. But but generally speaking, um, what I've got there is it's, it's quite a different approach. It's looking at everything that our two shows have discovered over the last uh, nine months and pulling that together into an easily digestible format in in book form. So while I can't promise. Uh, anyone who's been following both shows rigorously, and I, I don't know who has time to follow the hundreds of hours that we've both put out, but in theory, <laughs> if someone has followed hundreds of hours, I can't promise new information, uh, but what I can promise is something that is is very easy to go, you know what, I've just watched this episode, I want to pick it up, and again, eight to ten pages per episode of just being able to flick through and say, oh, okay, I see, this is what um, this is what Georgina Riley was uh, thinking when she was filming this episode, and you know it's 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 all good stuff, uh, but it's it's a, it's been such a different experience pulling from it live, listening to your interviews and being able to quote from them the day after, running or sitting in on interviews myself and thinking. I need some information for the book. I'm going to ask a specific question now that I know is just really off base, but I just really want this quote in the book. Tell me about, <laughs> you know, there's, there's this great moment when, um, uh-huh. when we first interviewed Raymond Lee and the, the others on the interview knew exactly what I was doing. I started asking needling questions about the trailers. And at one point he said, uh, oh, you know, all, all the trailers were shot in the same day. And mm. you can see me off camera desperately scribbling down. And you can see <laughs> Alison trying not to smirk because she knows that there's like this little part of me going, oh, I just found something out for the book. No one cares about this for the podcast. Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's ultimately what's presented is a very similar guide to the volume one to, to the original series guide. Uh, I, there's there's a lot of access to behind the scenes information, uh, but that's because of the relationships that both our groups have been able to build. And you know we've we've both spoken to Dean a lot, and Dean shares a lot. So you know it's all it's all in there. Well, I, I'm curious because I know Sam talks to Dean a lot more than I do, and it just seemed like the couple times that we've talked to Dean, he said some stuff that was definitely yeah. off the record, like. Like we've even had like to cut some stuff out of our first interview. And I'm sure that may be the case with you. I am sure like none of that, none of that stuff is fair game as far as. Exactly. So I, and this is why I answered your question cautiously. Um, And you, you, yeah, that's, you put it so well. It's uh, I, I have those same kind of conversations that there's the stuff that I know we can't, if we can't talk about it on the podcast, I can't talk about it in the book. So yes, I get that extra insight. Um, sure. but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, all we can, all- I'd like to think, I mean, I would say this, I'd like to think here. that most of the stuff though, that has been said like off the record is the type of stuff yes. that one day, yeah. one day just, we'll be able to like, you know, <laughs> one, one day the, the new series will be wildly successful. And after that, they'll go back and they'll do the tell all yeah. of 
the the first season of turmoil. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, Matt. And some of that stuff uh, that was that was off the record earlier on in the season is no longer off the record anyway, because some of that stuff that Dean was sharing was obviously more. You can't say this right, right now. This is what's happening in ten weeks' time. Uh, so yeah, in some cases, I've been able to go back and pull up stuff that we just couldn't talk about when I, I knew about it. Um, but yeah, there's um, there, there's not. It's not a behind, behind the scenes tell all, and uh, nor will it be until there's people willing to go on the record. But you know, at the end of the day, the the actors and Dean have been extremely generous and have, have given up a lot of information based on the fact that we're coming to them saying we're podcast talk, po- podcasters talking to us. Let me say that again. Uh, a lot of information based on the fact that we're going to them and saying we're podcasters talk to us. None of them know me as an author. So what I'm hoping to do is is get this book to them. Some of them hopefully will, will read it, see what I'm all about and maybe a, a few years from now when the series is over, do a follow-up edition where I can say, look, let's let's have an interview. Let's delve back into some of these memories from a couple of years back that maybe you wouldn't have talked about at the time. Let's let's bring them to the fore. And this is why, and this is and these are the kind of conversations I've been able to have with Deborah about volume one. When I in 2016, I didn't know Deborah, she didn't know me. I was working alone. Deborah, having seen the 2016 edition, has been a lot more open with me because she respects the work that I'm doing. And I I cannot expect to have that respect from the likes of Dean Georgiaris yet. But I would hope you'll see the book and sure. say, hey, you know, it's, I'll, I'll share some more with you down the line. I, I'm yeah. curious. Overall, well, I mean, just you the- started off with... Um, you started off when the new series was announced. You, did, you had quantumleapinfo.net, and now that's shifted to yeah. forevertv.net. And so you're expanding more beyond quantum leap but i haven't had a lot of chance to explore it so where where are you hoping to go with that eventually what do you want to be when you grow up that's what i'm asking uh so honestly my my focus now and and for the foreseeable is quantum leap stuff i I think there's still so much to that i I can do with quantum leap i just i there's, there's a lot of stuff i've written in the past about other shows and a lot of stuff i want to write about other shows and i needed somewhere to put it I've got a Doctor Who website that I've been running for 25 years now. So that's that's all there. I had quantumleapinfo.net and then there's, you know, where do I put the fact that I, I did a, a Star Trek marathon that I was Facebooking about and people were saying, I, I want to see your posts again. And like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll dump it there. I have no idea if anyone's got any real interest in it, but it's there. So Forever TV, I'll be honest about, is a bit of a dumping ground at the moment. And I, I, I want to do... I want to do an episode guide to Midnight Caller, not not in book form, but on Forever TV. I love Midnight Caller. Uh, I think it deserves a good uh, a good guide. So there's there's a few things like that that I've got in my head that I want to use the site for, but primarily it, it will be a, a Quantum Leap news site and a, a place for my for my books, and also you know at, at the risk of cannibalizing sales. Um, Volume one is as perfect as it possibly can be. But I know six months from now, uh, somebody from the original series is going to say something that I'll think, well, it's too late. Volume one's out. So I, I will be using the site as a place for addendums. Um, it's not to say there'll be a further edition, so it shouldn't sure. cannibalize sales. 
Um, but there, there'll be a page where I'm just saying, look, okay, um, this this missed the print deadline. This is you know all, all the bits and pieces that I find out over the years. So it's not then a seven year wait as this has been uh, to get new stuff out there. So I'll sure. be doing that. So yeah, I, I don't know what else is going to come, but uh, there'll there'll always be new QL stuff, especially while both our podcasts are finding out new stuff. I'm sorry, Sam, I talked over you earlier. Go ahead. Oh, that's okay. Uh, I honestly don't remember what I was going to say. Um, but I, 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 I did want to say that I, I think that that's fantastic. And I love that. I love that you're leaving yourself the opportunity to explore other things, you know, should that be possible? Should that arise? Uh, you know, obviously, I'm thrilled that you're, of course, stay focused on Quantum Leap uh, in the meantime. But you know, creative people, I think, mm. need to have outlets and they need to be able to to express, you know, themselves and, and to, to find ways to do that. Even after one endeavor is over, you have to move on to the next. And I think that that's incredibly important. So I'm glad that you're kind of building that framework for yourself. Um, and it's not not that you've not already done that, obviously, with your efforts with Doctor Who, as you mentioned, we talked a little bit about before. But um, one of the things that I did want to say, though, as far as like new information, because this is kind of a bit of a dormant period for a number of reasons, um, you know, I have not felt comfortable approaching any of the actors, writers or producers that we have contact with right yeah. now just due to the writer's strike, due mm-hmm. to the potential for a SAG after strike. Um, I just, you know, I've been in contact with a couple of people, which is great, but they've been the conversations we're having are are, are much yeah. more non-show related now, you know, just, 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 just sort of uh, not related to that at all. Um, because this is kind of a moment of pause and because now the book is coming out, I am curious, like, what are you focusing on? What are you hoping for? And uh, we'll talk a little bit about season two in a moment, but um, just in the meantime, uh, you know, where so, is your head? Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, right. So, Time, timeline of where we're at right now, and this this is exactly the kind of stuff that when I'm looking back years from now, I'll be appreciative of the fact that I'm going to drop some dates here. We're recording this on the 11th of June. Um, t- today, I have just locked down the Volume 2 PDF, so uh, I should get a proof of that in a couple of days, and that's being released. That's done. Volume 1, uh, my designer is going to be getting the final version to me in the next few days, and then that'll be going off to proof. And then that'll be done. So I've still got a little bit of work to do, especially since that I'm getting volume one in season long blocks. So I've, I'm going to have proofreading season five to do for the next couple of weeks, potentially. So that's going to keep me busy till the end of June. Then I take a day off because, you know, we all need a day off. But then to be honest, <laughs> it's volume three. <laughs> so that the whole second half of the 2016 edition needs revision and i will be going into writing that straight away that's that's my yeah there there is no pause um it's 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 a pause between the series but it's a pause that i'm using as much as i was using last summer to finish in theory volume one i'll be using the rest of this summer to start volume three so that i i'm kind of getting into the swing of that ready for September and ready to do that in parallel with, um, you know, wh- whatever happens with season two. And you'll see I'm, I'm starting to interview comic book writers and novel writers, and that's all part of that volume three research. Yeah. 
That's really cool. I am excited to see what that research yields just because it's something that has been so untapped. Mm. And obviously these people have worked outside yes. of quantum leap, you know, most of their endeavors have not been quantum leap related. However, they did happen to work on this little innovation comic book series that ran for 13 issues, you know, in the nineties and, and to, to bring that back and get a little bit more information into the production I, of the series, I think is really fascinating. Um, so I look forward to that. And I've seen obviously some of the stuff that you've already sort of posted. I, I'm really is, amazed because really cool. the, uh, you know, the, the novels, as, as we know, the novels, are, a lot of them were written by, fans and it's their only professional publishing experience so of course they remember it all these years later like you say for the comics most of the writers it was a drop in the ocean of their careers and i really didn't expect to get that much i've been putting off yeah trying to track down the comic people for years i just thought it's just it's a big old waste of time and actually totally wrong um, the ones I've been able to get hold of uh, <laughs> have been so great to talk to, and they've shared some really cool stuff. And I, I've, I've been learning things about the the unmade comics that I never thought, and the made comics that I never thought I'd ever get to grips with. So that that is another piece that in the 2016 edition I was always quite proud of the average three pages per episode I was giving, but I was a little bit embarrassed by the fact the comics were kind of getting half a page and it almost felt a bit apologetic. It was just all I had. Uh, now they're going to be getting, at the end of the day, they're still comics. There's still not that much to say about them because of the, the size of them, but they're at least going to be getting a good one to two pages of substantial material uh, for each issue, which I'm, I'm so happy with because that's the bit that, Every time I flick through my guide, I see those pages and think a bit. Like I say, it's, it feels it feels apologetic. It feels like oh, it had to be there, <laughs> which was never the case. I just didn't have the information, nor did I think I'd be able to get it. For sure, yeah. I mean, the 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 extended universe, if you will, uh, of Quantum Leap is always so fascinating because I feel like the comics are often mm -hmm. yeah, they're often lost in the shuffle uh, when you throw the novels out there. I think more people are aware of the novels than they are the comic series. And I think that the, the number of people that are aware of the novels that then go to the trouble of tracking down the novels, if they didn't already own them certainly seems to outweigh the number of people that are out there trying to track down the comics. Um, and and so I'm glad that there will be more information in there. I mean, there's issues that I have I've never read. That the only reason I know anything about them is because of mm. the stuff that either you know you wrote about or that uh, um, you know Brian's posted over on Al's place and that sort of stuff. So uh, I'm thankful for for that being out there. Um, one of the things that fascinates me is, is with the, the difference between the two mediums and the comics and the novels is that I felt like the novels often attempted to sort of like tackle stories that meant something to mm -hmm. the, you know, the mythology or, or the arc uh, of the show yeah. that, that didn't really exist back in, in the show's run. Um, and whereas the comics did tend to be more just, yeah. you know, one shot, like we're just telling a single story and then we're moving on. Obviously you had a couple of issues that, kind of went back and focused on stuff from the show. Um, uh, one in particular uh, that I think stands out more than others, but when thinking about that and the differences between the comics and the novels and, and where the novels went, as opposed to where the comics might've gone, um, has that yielded any kind of insight into just the way that that tie in media was produced or licensed? Um, and, yeah, and kind I of think what oversight it might've had. Very clear story starting to come out. That's the, the comics were very much, 
you know, you had George Broderick looking after it and wanting to hire in people that had real world experience of whatever. So, okay, I want to leap into the legal system. I'm going to get a comic writer that I know is also a lawyer to, to come and write. And as long as they understand a bit about the show, that's enough. That's fine. And that is an absolutely valid way to go. I don't, don't criticize them for that at all. As long as they can get the voices of Sam and outright, which they, they all did. Um, it means that, yeah, we, we end up with leaps that are grounded in that leap universe without going in, into the larger mythology that's really fanwank stuff. And then with the novels, you've got Ginger Buchanan highly networked into fandom and either having fans approaching her directly or she approaches fans who know other fans. And it, it's it's all a not what you know, it's who you know. But with fan fiction writers that are genuinely talented, I have a lot of a lot of time for them, but ultimately it's through that network that they ended up getting those commissions. And so it ends up being much more yeah, much more based around, like you say, the, the mythology of the series, because it's it's all those fans saying, Well, I I was watching this for five years and we we never got to see what uh, Gushy's entire backstory was. None of the comic book writers will have known who Gushy was. Uh but Mindy Peterman wanted to talk about Gushy, and, and why not? Uh, I would have wanted to if there hadn't been a book about that. So I think, yeah, the, the those two those two very different approaches is what is what made it made it happen that way. And I'm so glad it did because it's given me two very different stories to to tell. Yeah, I, I think that you know, with especially being on a, a small publisher and and having such a limited number of issues. I mean, the comic book series never even really got the chance to do those things, but also I think it, it, it benefited from not doing those things and telling those, you know, those single more confined stories as opposed to trying to do something that the novels obviously would have the opportunity to do given the longer form. Um, how much do you think that the comic books entire existence is due to the fact that the nineties <laughs> were just such a huge time for comic books in general? Like, would there have, have been a chance for Quantum Leap to get a comic book if it hadn't have been like, you know, every book sold a million comics? I mean, not these comics, obviously, but like back in the day, I yeah. mean, you know, Superman and X-Men and, and all this sort of stuff were selling yeah, like I, millions back, of books I'm still amazed uh, a month. Quantum Leap ever got a license. It, just, it doesn't seem like the kind of um, the, the kind of book that uh, <laughs> the kind of shows that should have got a comic book license and a, a, a one that's successful enough to have kept it going for for a dozen issues. So, yeah, I think it was a perfect storm. It, it was the right moment and it was the right it was the right kind of publisher. Those kind of publishers just don't exist anymore. Uh it's it, the the money just is not there. Yeah. They can't afford yeah. to take risks. Whatever in I, I'm not I'm not into comics. I'm I'm talking somewhat uh theoretically, but from what I gather those few indie publishers that are out there can't afford to get licenses. The ones that can afford to get licenses, uh, the big names, aren't going to go after something like Quantum Leap. That being said, I hear rumours. So fingers crossed. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 looking back, it seems it seems mad, and it seems like a year before or a year after, it just never would have happened. And we're we're lucky we got what we did. Um, and I, I realized as well, uh, yeah. you know, talking about that, um, that different approach that 
Ginger took with the books versus what George was taking with the comics. Of course, the 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 next comic that would have happened would have been written by Christina Mavrudis, who was a, a fan and not a comic book writer, and it, it would have had Aaliyah showing up in it. So actually, the comics were starting to lean in towards that uh, that fan wank arena. Mm. So yeah, interesting. <laughs> Do you think you know not to not to speak too much on rumors or, or, or whatever, and, and then I'm gonna throw it over to Dennis? But I, I am curious. Do you think that storytelling possibilities would be more limited should a comic book be produced or any tie-in media be produced now compared to the way that it would have been 30 years ago just based off of the fact that the storytelling format has, while largely staying within the same confines, has changed enough to be a little bit more serialized, in particular when it comes to our character relationships and our character backgrounds, so that there are not going to be the opportunities to write like a Pulitzer, for instance. Um, That's a book that I think, you know, if you were to draw a parallel, would not get written with this new series while it is is on the air. I I struggle to see how how tie-in fiction I struggle to see how it does work anyway right now with shows like Star Trek. Firstly, there's a fact that both both the comics and the novel range, the people involved in it have said, look, you know, we we were given arm's length approval. We had to to send stuff to Universal. They rubber stamped it and they sent it back. That doesn't happen these days because of aforementioned risk management and no, no one can afford to take risks like that so universal licensing would be right. all over stuff secondly there's the fact that i think audiences have changed a lot over the years and in the early 90s the word canon was not quite in so many vocabularies and you could get away with star trek novels doing <laughs> all kinds of random stuff and you'd pick it up read it toss it away and you know, whatever now you would get people buying a novel, and if there's a line in it that doesn't quite align with a line in Somebody Up There Likes Ben, fans would be burning it, saying this is not canon, or demanding that the publishers make an official (laughs) statement about whether it's canon or whether it's not, when actually, who cares? Um, But it's... uh, Star Wars is what I was thinking Yeah, I I mean, that's happened in Star Wars. Like that, I mean... Star Wars tell yeah. you what's canon and what's not. I mean, surely that's just up for fans to decide. Just just make the damn stuff. We'll figure it out for ourselves. I personally, I'm one of these people that just feels like everything is canon, but I'm not going to get into an argument yeah. with someone that says TV only is canon. Okay, yes. it's, it's fine. We can all. And if you think TV only is canon, that doesn't stop you from reading, and in, or it shouldn't stop you from reading and enjoying tie-in fiction. But in some cases these days it will, and I think that, again... Right, a, a comic range or a novel range for the new series of Quantum Leap would immediately have that working against it. That, as as does all tie-in fiction at the moment, that if there's the the sniff that it might not fit with canon, people just won't buy it. I I, I don't I don't see why that should matter, but it does. Which is so. I agree. And, and, and it's one of the things that was Star Trek that I'm so shocked that they basically destroyed their entire, mm-hmm. you know, literary universe that they had created yeah. 
just because of Picard. And and it and it it's so mind-boggling. And the and the trilogy that they use to kind of send the lit verse off, you know, into oblivion basically is so derided that it's like you didn't accomplish yeah. anything except alienate an entire fan base that you had built over the past like 25 years out of these novels. And the fact that you had these consistent sales based off of just this little novel universe that you created. And now you kind of decided to destroy that because the TV show doesn't make any sense to me. And especially like you, I've always been the type of person in particular with Dr. Who it's like, Oh, it's all, it's all Canon. Like I don't know. Novels, comic books, short stories. Like I don't care if it's on screen or not. Like it all counts. I I can enjoy uh, it. I had a lot of fun a few years back reading through all of the eighties comics, Star Trek, and particularly seeing how like, DC and Marvel at various different points mm. each tried to pick up all right here's what happened after the motion picture for a few years and then Wrath of Khan comes out and they go oh okay we're in the wrong place here and they just pivot and then they carry on and then search for spot comes out and they're like oh no okay we've got to pick yeah and they just keep kind of resetting and then telling these stories that in retrospect cannot possibly happen but it doesn't matter i read it and i enjoyed it and that's but I, right yeah, audiences have different expectations and i i have very high hopes that we can get some tie-in fiction i just i yeah i don't know if it'll happen <laughs> it'll be interesting yes. to see if it does happen what what limitations there may be yeah sorry that, that was the know, question to, you to asked the i went off on a bit of a rant but uh, yeah you're, you're right though the the fact that um uh, the fact that the show is far more serialized even just the basics, and again, this is the kind of stuff for me to worry about, like when I was worrying about where to get those trailer leaps, the Joe Montana leap, where exactly does that fit? Uh, every single week that went by where the characters were saying, <laughs> oh, yesterday uh, Ben was in the Wild West, and yesterday Ben was in an earthquake, and I was like, right, okay, so Joe Montana, not here. And then in episode nine, Magic says, well, he's on his ninth leap. Right. Okay. Still no Joe Montana then. And that was that was in the back of my head for the whole season. Nobody else worries about this stuff, nor should you. But um, that's 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 what they need to do with the novels and the comics. If if they happen, just release the damn things. I'll figure out where they fit. Well, and not only that, though, it did not trying to figure that out never diminished your enjoyment of the series. And I think that that's the key, right? Like the key is it's like you can worry about all those things. Just, you know, try not to let it diminish your enjoyment so much because you could miss out on something that you might. Oh, yeah. My my weird, weird approaches to things have never diminished my enjoyment. And I I say that within the back of my head, thinking about (laughs) that graph that I did to explain Judgment Day. Um, which is, has been out there for a while and a few people have seen. And a, a couple of people have commented saying, wow, the, the show must be really bad if it needs a graph. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just my head. Don't don't worry about it. It doesn't, I, I loved Judgment Day. It was a lot of fun. I just felt I wanted a little graph. <laughs> it's not a critique of the show. At all. This is the thing, you know, I uh, my, my partner is a casual fan and I, I knew I knew what the answer would be anyway. But I asked her anyway. We sat down and watched it. And I said, did that make sense to you? She said, sure. I was like, no, no, no. But but the information you saw on screen can't have done. So like, why not? <laughs> well, because it, Ian traveled back in time to a point after Addison had died to prevent Addison's death and get, Ian, get Ben started off on this whole journey. It doesn't make any sense. 
She's like, uh, I guess. Like, right. So, yeah, so me and Barry agreed that that didn't make sense. And then we figured out a whole way of topsy-turvying that it could make sense. Um, you know, for the vast majority of fans... I still don't understand how it doesn't make sense, honestly, but that's just the way my brain works, I guess. <laughs> if, if Addison died and Ian remembers her dying in... 2022 and then he travels uh, and then sorry and then they travel back to 2022 to avoid the death then she's already dead they have to travel back to before that so it only works if the original date you know what i've got to look at the bloody timeline i i can't even remember it now it was, it was weeks ago i it does not make sense but <laughs> I see so, what you're saying. You're saying that that's right. Addison was going to be killed at the point in time the, in which Leaper X went to kill her in the episode Judgment Day. Her in 2018. There's, there's nothing to say that he didn't, except for the fact that Ian then travels back to 2022 and finds her not dead. And there's nothing in the show that contradicts that. Everything in the show, and my, my non-fan partner assumed... Except for the one thing, the one thing, the one piece, the one piece that's getting left out here, though, is, is that Ian, when they leap back, they're leaping back to a point in time before Addison leapt initially. Addison has to leap in order to set off the events that send Leaper X on. So the, the again, in my head, like Leaper X and Ben are leaping in, in a way that if Ben steps into the accelerator, Leaper X doesn't step into the accelerator until later. So they're both trying to race to get to the same point in time. So we're thinking of it in terms of like standard time travel stuff, right? It's back to the Where it's like, oh, this event tangents, happens, then this event happens. Stuff. And if this event happens here, <laughs> but, but right. And, and I think that, I mean, it's, it's time travel. It's, it's, it's fake. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't exist. And, and, and I think that there's, there's room to posit that just because somebody is targeted to be killed in the past, you know, doesn't mean this isn't, this isn't Terminator, yeah. right? This isn't like, I'm going to send somebody into the past to, to, to kill someone. And if I don't send somebody in the past to stop them from doing so at that specific moment, then it can never happen because Regardless of when Addison is supposedly killed by Leaper X, there has to be a time yeah, that exists that she steps into the accelerator. Because if she doesn't step into the accelerator to make things awful, Leaper X would never be but again, all right, let's, incited let's to leap back into the example. past to try to kill her. So uh, everything's going awful for the machines um, because uh, John Connor gets born and grows up and blah, 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 blah. So the machines send back um, a Terminator to kill Sarah Connor. The the older rebels, which in this case the equivalent is the the older Ian, know that all of that's happened. They wouldn't then send back Kyle Reese to uh, ten years after uh, Sarah Connor has been killed because Sarah Connor's already been killed. They'd they'd, they'd be going into a timeline that, and and in this case, it's even worse because Ian remembers all that happening. That's why Ian is going back. Ian is going back to prevent something that they have witnessed. They know that Addison got killed. They have to go back to before Addison got killed. This is the, for the Doctor Who fans, 
in the audience. This is the bribing the architect first scenario from Curse of Fatal Death. They're just they they they're going back, but they have to go back beforehand to make it work. And that's effectively what Barry Donovan and I were doing here when we made this sense. We said, well, actually, Martinez might not have gone back to 2018 originally. Maybe Martinez went back to 2023. Ian went back to 2022. Set everything in motion so that Ben went back to 2018. But Martinez then also went back to 2018. And this was kind of a second attempt. So it's just Oh, right, I think that's exactly what I, to to me and in my head. In to me, that's, that's exactly that. Yes, like I completely agree with all of that, and I don't think there's anything to contradict that. There is no. I don't think there's anything to contradict that on screen, though. Is what I is what I would say. Like there's nothing to contradict it, that on screen. What's presented on screen most logically posits that that's not what happened. It is that Leaper X went back to 2018, and then Ian goes back to 2022. And it's just a cock up. And that's why Barry and I figured out, well, maybe it's the way that... So, yeah, I think we're in agreement about what happened. It's just we don't think that was the writer's intention. And that's why we ended up doing that that graph. Um, I will say, I spoke to Dean about that. I can't remember if I actually shared the graph or if I just explained it. And he said, no, 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 no. It, it all does make sense. Uh, I spoke to the writers. It definitely makes sense. Um, so I, I don't know if I, I had it wrong or... If it was the writer's intent to be like that, I just didn't feel that came across on screen because there, there was no mention that they were going to be sent back earlier. And without that mention, they're going to be sent back earlier. We have to assume that the writers meant that Martinez was always aiming for 2018. I just don't think if it... But the most important question. I just never. It's never. I, it's just. I, it's just funny. It's just so funny because I never. I actually never thought that. But the most that was never. That was never my thought. But I think the most important question is how did Ian find someone yes. for Ben to yeah. leap into <laughs> in twenty fifty two or what? I, I love how I can't remember if you were part of this conversation, but I am convinced <laughs> it's, it's a reanimate. Re oh, brilliant course. idea! I hope so. That's that's my that that is my fan wag, and I would absolutely love it if Ben would have looked yeah, in a reflective surface at some point. Absolutely, anyway, or or a, a cockroach or something. <laughs> cockroach, cockroach. We should probably work nuclear fallout, don't they? Yeah, we should. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, we probably worked yeah, with wrapping this up. So to and give definitely uh, folks an idea where. That's 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 usually that's, yeah, that's why we wrap we, it up we've here at Facebook. The bottom we of the barrel. Um, where can if they have not pledged to the Kickstarter, they're not going to be getting it in the next. So, Volume One, the one about the original series. Uh, there's the that it, it's too late to get a pre-order in now. Uh, volume One, the original series, is now closed. That's going to be printing for pre-orders in yeah a few weeks. I will be sending it down the print on demand route later in the year. So there will be links at forevertv.co.uk uh, for that. Volume 2, the one about the new series, is going straight to print on demand. And again, links on forevertv.co.uk. So basically, that, that's the place to keep an eye out for. Volume 3 will be going down the Kickstarter route in a couple of months' time. Uh, if you're not on Kickstarter and like to get an alert about that kind of thing, again, forevertv.co.uk is, is the place to go for that. And it'll be a two-month-long Kickstarter, so there'll be plenty of time 
uh, to just just awesome. keep checking back on the site every couple of weeks, and you'll see the link eventually. Do you have Do you have any uh, um, idea of around so, when you're going to launch? I that don't want to launch the Kickstarter until I finish fulfilling Volume One, um, but it will basically be the day that I ship the 200th copy of sure. Volume One. The the second that one is out the door, I'm launching it, um, which doesn't answer your question at all. But um, yeah, effectively, nice. nice. I think I'm going to be starting to ship all being well around 1st of July. I think it's going to take me a couple of weeks to ship the books. So mid-July, famous last words. I mean, all, all kinds of things could happen. So yeah, around about mid-July. I'm already preparing Betsy to be a widow, basically, because I'm going to disappear good. into reading the book, just like good, I did. Good, good, good. Good to hear it. One. Yeah, it's a, there's there's so much to dive into. <laughs> um, I, you know one one thing that I did want to touch on briefly before we we let you mm. go um, is season two, and you know knowing what what we all know at this point that there's eight episodes completed. That that was you know the the original plan was to just do those eight, get those eight done, then they were going to take a break. That that was always the schedule was to take the break even without the writer strike happening. Now, of course, the writer's strike is looking like it's going to linger. Um, there are some prognosticators out there saying that it's going to go into the fall. Uh, mm-hmm. Originally, the plan, I believe, was to come back in November to start shooting the rest of season two. Now we don't know not only if that will be mm-hmm. able to happen, but we're also, of course, starting to hear the murmurs of the SAG after strike, which, of course, could end up you know, delaying things as well or further delaying things. Um this is all speculation, but I'm just curious as to kind of what your feelings are and, and, and what you're thinking going into, you know, season two in yeah, light of, uh, I, you know, not I'm just the writer's strike, but potentially another strike um, as well. I, and we've been here before. We've all seen shows affected by writer strikes, uh, the, the last one several years back. Um, and for all the right reasons, of course. I, uh, what, what I see is eight episodes of Quantum Leap in the can that we are going to get to see in the autumn. And there's no reason to assume that there'll be any lower quality than the ones we saw in season one, hopefully even better. So if it, I was going to say, based off of, so I, I will say this yeah. is a little tease. Yeah, so based I, on some I, off I the record stuff, well. I think the quality and, is going to be even know, better. <laughs> you can get the 13 that were commissioned. Amazing. If they get an extension out to 1822, amazing. But you know what? It's still eight more episodes than we got between 1993 and 2022. So I, I'm just so excited that we've got another eight episodes of Quantum Leap coming up, hopefully more. <laughs> but if, if not, if that's if there's then a break until fall 2024, so be it. I was yeah. going to say, can we assume you know, I, the way they ended, like the way they, the way they're going to end episode eight, it kind of like as a mid-season, mid-season cliffhanger. So if that's all we get, at least we get some kind of cliffhanger or something for for the end of the the season. If that's what we get. Oh, I know eight is a Dean episode, so I'm just assuming that whatever is happening in eight is probably going to be a kind of a, a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. so I would, I would lean oh, into that, that was, being possible. Yeah, Dennis. Yeah. 
Yeah. The the other thing that I that uh, I heard from a friend of mine um, who goes to Comic Con every year, uh, they've literally been just about every single year, is that the apparently there's a Quantum Leap thing listed for Comic Con, which I, I, is exciting. Um, I don't think it's a panel. I think it's I think it's some sort of like installation or something that they're doing or whatever, um, because it just uh, reaffirms yeah. everything I've heard about the network being. So and, behind and the, the show, that, being really, you know, really, I, really pleased like you, with the I show. Think I'm on social media everywhere, and anytime anyone says, but are they reminding everyone, this show got an early renewal. Eight episodes got aired, and they renewed it for season two. That's when every other show, we're usually hearing February, March, April, sometimes even later yeah. than that, what's happening in the fall. We knew in December, after just eight episodes had aired, that it got a second season, regardless of the length of it. So, the, yeah, the network clearly... Yeah. Well, and even just seeing like for, for Pride Month, you know, seeing the fact that they've been airing, you know, like interviews or pushing interviews on social media channels with Mason and, and stuff like that, I think is also encouraging that they, you know, that they're, they're not only supportive of the show, but they're, they're supportive of, of, of who these people are. And, 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 um, it, it seems as though in spite of obviously there being some issues that need to be addressed, uh, for the writers and, and for the actors as well, um, that, that at the very least, you know, the, the show itself yeah. is, is popular amongst yeah. the people who are deciding on what goes on. So, yeah. and I what think we're in, a, we're in a good place as fans. Matt, thank you so, so, so very much for joining us. Um, I, you know, especially with the time difference and everything. And, uh, it's always a thrill to, to have you on. And, uh, I'm just excited. This is like the third time we've gotten <laughs> to talk, uh, in the span of a year, as opposed to hey. talking like once in five years. Um, so yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm it's glad that so we're able to, 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 to pick on, up the, the pace of off. our encounters. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm always happy to talk to you guys and it's, we always have, have a good time. And uh, it's th- this feels like um, for all the the very kind words you've said about my books on the podcast over the years, uh, this feels really appropriate. That you know, that the day I've locked down season two, and just as I'm about to lock, uh, sorry, the day I've locked down volume two, um, this is the way I'm celebrating it by coming and chatting to you and um, and sharing my hopes for the for my writing. Ah, thank you. Mm. Well, thank you. And congratulations. And I'm really looking forward to it. And it is no exaggeration that without your book, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have this podcast. Mm. So we wouldn't even be talking right now. So uh, um, we're thrilled for you and thrilled for all the information that you share. And, you know, we, we talked earlier about like the generosity of the people that work on the show. But um, I think that it, the same holds true for you and your generosity and sharing the wealth of information, obviously, that you've collected. And I know that that's the purpose, the reason for it. You're not just, you know, hoarding it for yourself. That was never the point, but it's, uh, it's still a lot of work that you put in. And, uh, and I know that we're, we're grateful for it. And I think that that goes for the whole community. And so I, I just hope that everybody out there that has not had an opportunity to back the Kickstarter and do the pre-order will, you know, get to the print on demand and, and, and get their copies because it's definitely worth having, uh, on your shelf. Well, There's no you. doubt about that. And echo everything Sam said. Really appreciate talking to you. You're one of those people like we 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 got our thread going on Facebook. Yeah. And so we chat all the time through there. But like they're like, oh no, we haven't actually like talked wow. in person yeah. since December, I think, since we did our did our crossover episodes, but also like listening to QLP. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Getting to getting to have that. 
conversation. We want to thank you again for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, and please leave us a rating and review. They help other people find our show. We love to hear from listeners. Send us an email at fateswidewheelpodcast at gmail.com. We welcome recorded MP3 messages or simply written letters. If you would like to become a financial supporter of the podcast, you can do that a couple of ways. You can do so monthly at patreon.com slash fateswidewheel. That's patreon.com slash fateswidewheel. Or a one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com slash fateswidewheel. Again, that is buymeacoffee.com slash fateswidewheel. And find us online at fateswidewheel.com and on all the major social media sites at fateswidewheel.com.